0: you're listening to text message the uk focused technology podcast with me nate langson that's me ian morris ian's amused because we this is the second take because he screwed it up the first time
1: so bad
0: uh, but both the original take and this current take is brought to you by you thank you to our beautiful wonderful amazing patrons supporting us each and every week at patreon.com slash uk tech if you're a patron this is your extended ad free version of this week's show and if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad free versions our extended versions weekly columns and soon live listening and chatting to us while we record Head to patreon.com slash UK Tech to find out how you can support us from as little as one US dollar per week. And thank you to Matt Dawson-Jones, Kyle Jeffrey and John Atwood who have joined us in recent days as patrons. And I met one of our patrons this week, oh, mate. Oh, good. Yes, Luke from Netherlands. Long time listener, Luke. Hello, Luke. Um, yes, he, he happened to be in central London when I was in central London. And uh, meet we did. And I took him for fish and chips. Let's get into the news, I think, Ian. Uh, now, from 2019, Wired reported this week, the London Underground will have blanket mobile service even in tunnels. This follows a successful trial on the Waterloo and City line. Now, the, the trial culminated in the following uh, scenario. Somebody had to be able to take a call in the ticket hall, walk through the station to the platform, get on a train, travel to the next station on the train and then exit the ticket hall without the call dropping, which they succeeded in doing. Now, the Waterloo and City line is an interesting line to test this on for two reasons. The first is that it only has two stops. Uh, The second is that it has uh, quite a long tunnel in between the two stops that it does. And it's very, very deep. Yes, I think it's exceptionally deep, isn't it?
1: Well, let me check. While you're talking, let me check. Yeah.
0: Well, EE3, O2 and Vodafone, so the four biggest networks in Britain, uh, took part in this trial, although only EE and 3, apparently, according to Wired, tested signals inside the tunnels. But I think the expectation is that all networks would at least be able to use uh, the... Infrastructure once it's actually rolled out, Uh, the trial ran on these. uh, It ran outside of the passenger hours on the Waterloo and City Line, and apparently, yes, it was chosen. I'm just looking at the story now uh, because it had not just a limited timetable, but because the 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 tunnel itself has two kilometres to travel, which is apparently very demanding in terms of radio coverage, according to the TfL. Um, So, an incremental rollout is expected to start in 2019. So, we have still got a bit of time to wait, Um, but I'm not. I mean, I'm still not fully convinced that this is a good thing. Like, I'd like data to be on the the tube, but I I sort of worry that having phone calls permitted on the
1: tube is is a a bit of a recipe for annoyance. The thing is, these days, you can't separate the two, can you? You can't, you can't say we're going to give you phone calls and not data or, you know, I mean, you can, but you know, people are going to still make phone calls over data, aren't they? So between 14 metres depth and 19 metres depth, uh, the Waterloo City line. That's not very deep at all. No. Um, So yeah, I I mean, I I agree with you, really. I don't want phone calls on the tube particularly. uh, But I also believe that for the most part, uh, Londoners understand the non-spoken, non-written contract that they enter into when they move to this city, uh, which is conversations are permitted as long as there is a really good reason. For example, um, there's a terror incident and you need to tell people to go, get out yeah. or, um, or, if, or if the world is otherwise ending and that's pretty much the only time you're allowed to talk to people. Um, certainly no eye contact. Uh, and I do, I do believe that phone calls would be a complete breach of all etiquette, uh, but there's always going to be one.
0: Well, I don't know because this happens on trains a lot. You know, the number of times I've sat on a on a train, an overground train that's been going into, into city and there's somebody chatting away about something pointless and at quite a high volume is, you know, it's deeply
1: frustrating, I find. We've sent each other recordings, haven't we, of people on trains uh, talking? Yes, we have done. I once, I once yelled at someone. I mean, like, properly yelled at them. They were having some conversation about front doors or something. And I just said, for the love of God, be quiet. Because it was just becoming really, it was just, he was very loud. And it was just a very asinine conversation that could easily have happened at his destination. Um, but no, he was booming out over the whole train. It was very annoying. Well, you can look
0: forward to uh, riding a tube with Ian, making a phone call and having him shout at you uh, from 2019 i'm i'm very excited about this uh in general even though i have massive reservations about the uh, the phone call aspect but
1: The data thing is an essential for me. I'm sick of only being able to use it on platforms, which is a really big case of, you know, my, ouch, my diamond shoes are too tight because obviously we've got internet under most of the uh, tube stations now, haven't we? You know, able to get it on the platforms. It's I think it's
0: about 97 or 98% of all tube stations.
1: Yeah, it's only that hole in the bloody ground at Moorgate, isn't it? And some of the other ones that are a bit shabby. Bond Street, I believe, still doesn't have it. It's it's very,
0: very strange. But um what's interesting about this is is to me is how this'll actually affect the Wi Fi usage underground because if you're just using your regular four G data, that's gonna massively reduce the need to use Wi Fi, which is actually charged for. Well, sort of. I mean, no one actually pays for it, do they? I think tourists may do, but I wow. think, you know, but, but uh, uh, yes, it's largely a perk if you're a subscriber to Virgin Media or EE or well, Vodafone. Or pretty well. much,
1: no, I mean, it's pretty much everyone. I think, don't all of the uh, phone operators have a deal with Virgin?
0: But it's going gonna, it's gonna to really reduce the need to do that, particularly as well when you think about roaming, you know, the, because this will be on regular 3G and 4G networks, The the roaming tariffs will apply to that too so tourists coming in from overseas will no longer need to sign up to the wi-fi service because they can use their regular calling and data plan while underground roaming which is amazing when you think about how far we've we've come over the last few years that's actually pretty amazing mm-hmm thing to think is about to happen um let us know any thoughts you have on this if you live in a, a place that has this sort of feature i think japan i think some parts of the u.s um they they have this uh, this enabled then let us know how it works are people talking on the phone during their busy commutes is that a problem for you does it does it annoy you have you yelled at a stranger for being too loud <laughs> let us know hello at techpodcast.uk Well, scandal has been erupting once again around Uber over the last couple of weeks. And we didn't talk about this when it first broke because it was broadly not a UK story. However, uh, over the last few days, Uber has admitted that 2.7 million people in the UK were affected by the 2016 security breach that compromised customer information, including names, email addresses and phone numbers, according to The Guardian and many, many others. Now, that is a about half if not slightly more than half of uber's entire uk customer base which is around five million or so so this is an enormous breach for uk people so it uh, it's definitely in your interest to uh, review your security settings change passwords all that kind of stuff and make sure that you're safe i'm not sure passwords were were, were um were disclosed as part of this breach i think it was largely names and contact details but not uh, but but nothing, nothing more. But Uber has said um, that it will it has hired experts to investigate the data breach. Brilliant. It, and during this. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the Guardian points out quite rightly. It's buried in the help section of the website uh, that it also said it didn't believe customers financial details were leaked. But I mean, two point seven million people in the UK. That, that is an awful lot. I mean, it's fifty seven million people worldwide. But, you know, so it's a it's a small Total, but in terms of the fact that it's over fifty percent of the British customer base for Uber is shocking.
1: Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Uh, out of out of nearly six million customers, I mean, uh, this has happened. This happens to me so often now. I mean, I've I if I put my email address into Have I Been Pwned, uh, the results I get back are frankly staggering. And I, I've had an e- I got an email from them telling me that my details were in the imager. Uh, account leak which went which happened in 2014 or something and we're just hearing about it now Um, and then imager emailed me after that to say oh sorry Uh, well in fact actually no not sorry actually just a bunch of explanation um, which is you know change your password or we've changed your password or something like that but none of it's good enough it's not good enough if every time I put on a pair of pants at the end of the day if they exploded we wouldn't tolerate that would we No, I think almost certainly not. This is like having your pants explode on a semi-regular basis. It's not, but, you know, I couldn't think of anything else.
0: I feel like that is possibly an exaggeration. Um, You know, I think having your genitals blown off by a pair of cotton underwear, it's quite an extreme stretch in my head, but I get your point. You're using exaggeration to illustrate a point, and and I, I respect
1: that. I think the thing is that I think the thing is that worries me more is that if you know your underpants are going to explode, then you can just I don't know you can take some steps, can't you? For example, you could wear a cast well. I think you would probably take very few something.
0: steps if your underpants exploded because it would probably blow your legs off.
1: Well, possibly, but yeah, but you would think, like, okay, what can I do to prevent damage to myself when my underpants explode? But when you've got you know stuff like this, there's very little you can do. There's it's not a failing of me that my account details are consistently. Hacked in this way. There's nothing I can personally do to prevent it from happening. Now, some of the things that I do do, which is stupid, but that everyone does, is reuse passwords. Because ultimately, and I have had this conversation with people, there I have priorities in my head. So you know, my banking is kept on a set of different passwords, but my imager account may well be the same password as my Netflix account because ultimately. I don't care. Like, it it doesn't really matter to me very much. If someone gets into my Netflix account, I could survive that. Um, It it is, I mean, obviously, it would still be frustrating. But, um, you know, it it, it just, everyone is a bit slack sometimes, but it doesn't negate the fact that's not our fault, particularly. Um, And these companies are still doing things that we couldn't help, even if we had super secure passwords. Why don't you let us know how you manage your passwords? What steps do
0: you take um, to stay secure that'd be an interesting one to come back to next week i think i've just checked uber's help website to see how clear the advice is being made on its website so i went to help.uber.com and i've had to look around there is no i can't see a single reference to the hack on this page there is nothing about it the way you find it i found is you go to under more Uh, legal privacy and other inquiries. Click on that. And then out of a list of what looks like about a dozen questions, uh, right at the bottom, just above Uber movement, whatever the hell that is, is information about 2016 data security incident. Click on that. Then it shows you information. In the United Kingdom, this involved approximately 2.7 million riders and drivers, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Do I need to take any action? We do not believe any individual riders need to take any action. We've seen no evidence of fraud or misuse tied to the incident. That is far too buried for something this big. This is why Uber has a problem, in my opinion, because I've really, I, I gave Uber the benefit of the doubt a lot of the time, but I've basically lost my patience with them now because <laughs> I don't care if they get their license back in, in in London. Like the whole point about the license being revoked was that they weren't apparently fit and proper to do business. And I'm really sorry, but this isn't good enough. Like you can't, uh, you can't have half of your customer bases' details compromised and bury critical advice information in a sub menu under the topic of more. It should be at the top of the page for several months. As you know, click here for help and advice. Like it's really bad. I think I think Uber needs to do a lot better, a lot better. Like I don't uh. want people to lose their jobs, but. It's just not good enough and they're not helping themselves. Any thoughts you have on this, on password security, or Uber's inability to uh communicate advice to my standards, um let us know your thoughts. Hello at techpodcast.uk. we're going to talk about something uh, that we don't often talk about on the show, but I spent a lot of time reporting on this uh, at Bloomberg this week and kind of wanted to talk about it because it it really affects the UK. This is the fact that Apple is designing its own power management chips for use in iPhones uh, and may start doing so as early as next year, which would reduce the company's dependence on a uh, on another company, a British company or UK-based company called Dialog. Uh, they make semiconductors and stuff. Now, this news initially came out of Japan's Nikkei, which uh, breaks a lot of uh, news in the business world. And the the news caused Dialog shares to plummet about 20% or something, which is extremely significant. The reason why we wanted to talk about this is because this is the second time this year that we have heard of Apple's, Move to take certain things in-house, having a very negative effect on a British company. The last time this happened, it was Imagination Technologies. They produce uh, what's called a power VR graphics chip. Apple's used them in its products for many years. They've been in iPods, they've been in iPads, iPhones, and things. And when Apple said that it was going to start making that graphics tech in-house, Imagination's value plummeted, and the company ultimately had to sell itself. Um, In order to just stay in business at all. Dialog relies on Apple for almost three quarters of all of its (sighs) revenue, which means that Apple pulling back and taking some of that
1: in-house is a really, really worrying sign for for that company. It is, but I mean, I'm sure you would have pointed out in the, well, it's it's a news story, so you probably wouldn't have done, but it is very important if you're a business to not have one single source of an income, really. I mean, it's crazy to rely so heavily on one company. Um, And I I mean, obviously, there are a lot of different reasons that people do that. um, But it's very silly to build up a business that relies entirely on one outcome, kind of thing yeah it, it it it's it is but at the same time
0: when one of your clients is as big as apple it's quite difficult if you're one of the only people supplying it with 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 technology and, and there are conflicting reports as to whether apple uses intel as well um for some of these chips but certainly it relies on dialogue for an awful lot of this but it's yeah, it's this um, it's this move where we're seeing apple do more and more of its own silicon basically you know it bought a company called pa semi in about 2008 and then it started making a chip which was based on an arm chip actually the a the apple a4 which went into the iphone 4 and and then the the ipad and that was the first time apple had basically made its own chips for a a Main, you know, a headline yeah. consumer device, and um, that works
1: okay for ARM because it still gets licensing fees. In fact, ARM doesn't make its own chips anyway, does it? So no, it things. designs
0: them, but other people other people make them. And and Apple doesn't make its own chips. You know, it, it doesn't fabricate them. They're they're outsourced to companies like TMSC and um, yeah. and, and even Samsung actually make a, a lot of Apple's Apple's chips physically make them. Um, but it's but it's a move that's caused a few eyebrows to raise because Apple's also been talking, uh, or rather the rumor mill has been talking about Apple potentially starting using its own chips in the iMac. This is something that I think I saw reported on Engadget. I think a bunch of other places wrote about it at the time. It's an unsubstantiated rumor, but a developer what, so they're
1: uh, taking away, not using an Intel processor? No, not not
0: that. What they looks like they're doing is in the iMac Pro, they're going to have uh, a, an Apple A10 chip embedded into the device right. in order to do so the rumor goes uh things like always on siri so you nice. can you could have the computer essentially powered down but the but rudimentary background tasks could still function using an incredibly low power i mean um, amazing chip. actually you know and then there are talks of the fact that if apple wanted to move into making uh you know kind of a replacement for the sort of chips that power its uh, low low power consumption devices in the laptop space like the 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 thin MacBook, the one that doesn't have a fan, you you move that to uh Apple's own chips like this, and battery life will go through the roof. Potentially, yeah. it will cause all kinds of problems in terms of software compatibility, and that was a big issue well, when Apple moved from using IBM's PowerPC chips to Intel's around 2005 or 2006. But, it, but
1: even even if it, it, it wasn't so inv- involved as that, if if it, if it was something like um, they used sort of this, those processors to do something in a PC, but we, you know without changing the fundamental architecture of it, um, so that there would be uh, some benefits to it. I mean, I can't off the top of my head, think of something. But you know, it rather than you know, a ground up rewrite of absolutely everything, it could be a bit more subtle than that.
0: Yes, I think it's more likely in the in the early instances you would see something like where you essentially have an Apple chip as a coprocessor. Um you know, I mean Apple's chips in the iPhone right now, they have in the iPhone 10 there are six cores. Uh, but they're not all the same cores you know i think a couple of them are a low powered cores and the other the others are, are much higher powered which means that it doesn't have to always be using the processor's full capacity when it doesn't need to it can just drip a bit of power out of um, a couple of them to just run background tasks and maybe apple could do could do that i mean microsoft windows 10 i believe now is being coded in order to support ARM based processors, which opens the door for tablets and uh and like two in ones to run well, on an arm based chip with Windows. And phones,
1: 10. except they're not doing that anymore, which baffles me. Yeah. But Still. but that
0: would be that would be pretty incredible too. So there's this real and it's all about power efficiency. But these these chips, I mean, I've been benchmarking the iPhone ten for, for a while and the review will come this week. I know I've been promising it for two weeks, but I've just been doing so much testing with it that I, I just I kind of want to wait until it's perfect, but the power in that thing and like the and the iPad Pro, the most recent one, mm. they have desktop levels of of power,
1: like yeah, genuinely. I mean, I, I, desktop as I levels. As I've said countless times, I, I don't use a laptop anymore. The iPad Pro first generation even is so good um, and, and offers me pretty much everything I need. And I'm, I know I'm not the only use case and I'm sure that a lot of people couldn't survive like that. Um, but I also wonder if they could, because actually I think you might be quite surprised. A lot of people be like, "Oh, I couldn't do it on a tablet." I'm like, yeah, "You might be surprised." Yeah, I mean, you
0: certainly could on a Windows tablet now. I mean, the Surface, the Surface tablets uh, for one thing, and, and Samsung's recent ones are uh, are very very good. You can you can absolutely use that. I, I think for an iPad, there's still restrictions, but it's got a hell of a lot better, particularly with iOS 11. <clears throat> Intel must be well quite worried. Well, I think anyone who makes makes anything that Apple uses is probably having to think about their long term future simply because, you know, the more Apple does itself in house, the better its margins are, the more control it has and the better it can differentiate its products from from other manufacturers. But yeah,
1: absolutely. I I mean, differentiation is a huge thing, but also secrecy is a huge deal as well. Like Apple is a company that enjoys secrecy. Um, And, you know, not having to use off the shelf solutions would mean that they would have a lot more of that, I suppose. Potentially.
0: I mean, Apple lost a lot of its ability to keep stuff secret when it started phone development because so much of what goes into that has to be tested in regions and contracts yeah. have to be signed with, with network providers. And we've seen more Apple leaks probably since the iPhone was announced than we than we saw before it in terms of average numbers, I would say. But anyway, yeah. it's, it's something that we are going to keep our eye on. Obviously, I mean, I, I cover this stuff You know, every week at at Bloomberg, so I'm kind of embedded in this stuff. But if you have any thoughts or questions, hello at techpodcast.uk is where you can send them. Let's move into our mailbag. Three interesting uh, mails this week. First here comes from Richard Taylor, who is talking about passwords. Now, this is very relevant, of course, because we talked earlier about passwords with the Uber story. Uh, Richard says, Our beloved UK government, HMRC, uh, who you would assume would be up to date with security, given the recent high-profile security shambles <laughs> of the NHS... I would, ex-
1: I would expect absolutely nothing of the kind.
0: <laughs> ...are completely in the dark ages when it comes to password policies. With the big push to using online systems for all-company tax returns, and recently having the repeated misfortune to register a company, the password policies say that passwords must be, according to Richard between 8 and 12 characters, letters and numbers, no spaces, contain at least one number, contain at least one letter, not contain the word password. Now, Richard said this is a particular problem because getting the macOS keychain system or any password manager to generate such a short or limited password uh, means it will instantly flag it as insecure. He gave an example. He was generating an auto password, which was, I'm not going to read out capital and... Not capital (laughs) letters, but, you know, gh4-klp-5gb-dfe-9kw-ds2. We're going to assume Richard isn't using that password. Um, Some of those were uppercase, some of them were lowercase, and that wasn't allowed on this system, this HMRC system that Richard was using. However, he was allowed to use Richard1. Uh, so he went to howsecureismypassword.net, typed in both of those. Uh, the former, the complicated one, said it would take 19 septillion years to uh, to crack using current technology, whereas Richard1 was counted as less than one second. He did, Oh, he says here, I didn't use either. Um, so this is a real problem, and, and I had this with my Halifax online bank account where I have to use what I would consider quite an insecure password because my usual formula for using passwords was... Uh, w- was not allowed to be used for for a bank it's just yeah. it's mind-blowing that you can't use some of these things so it, it is a problem and it, it would be interesting to see if anybody else has got examples of, uh, of of services that are really quite important i would say you know hmrc government governmental website is important banking i'd say is important that doesn't let you use a uh, a, a very secure password any examples yeah. you've got would be
1: very interesting Um, I've seen some real shambolic stuff in my time um, with with passwords because it's a lot of it's a real um, it's a a real problem because it's especially if they ask you to rotate passwords and stuff like that it becomes very difficult to keep a a secure password if you can't have a long um, and you know a decent amount of special characters that kind of stuff or or length is very important, right? Even more so than special characters, because if you've got a, a, a long password, you can make up a sentence, and that makes it very, very easy to remember. Yes, indeed. But then none of them do that. You know, almost all passwords are limited. Even pretty good sites sometimes you'll hit a limit of fifteen characters or something like that. Not enough. Not enough well let us know any thoughts
0: you have on that or examples hello at techpodcast. UK um a few weeks ago we talked about Vodafone's passes system uh, the 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 new perk where you can pay a certain amount a month but have your data zero rated for services like spotify and whatsapp and others and it raised a bunch of questions that um that i put to vodafone and it's good timing because we had an email from alistair do you want in fact do you want to read alistair's email uh,
1: here yes here? it's not addressed to me so I'll, so I'll just read it to you hi nate Hi. (laughs) With the net neutrality debate resurfacing in America, it's got me a little concerned that things like Vodafone passes are a slippery slope here in the UK. In Vodafone's defence, I guess they aren't throttling or blocking services, but by removing the data cap for certain services, they are treating some data as different from others, which has got me a bit worried that it'll set a precedent. And that was essentially what we spoke about wasn't it it was um i've been seeing um, a few screenshots of packages in portugal and new zealand and it looks horrendous i hope we get to ne- never get to that stage uh, it would be great to hear your thoughts on this in an upcoming episode uh, i will say that i i'm that portugal thing that was widely circulated i believe wasn't factually accurate um I, I i haven't looked into it enough um but it's quite important to point out that there was a there was a thing that suggested that certain services would be charged i don't believe that that's accurate so yeah just there was a story on that
0: it was a story that the verge um had, had had published and i think they were they were zero rating a lot of services like netflix and facetime and and things like that, but so uh, we'll include a link to that in the the show notes so people can can check that out um, but but on this topic, you know it, it is something we talked about a few weeks ago, but i I mean I got in touch with Vodafone to ask them about their whole chat pass. Thing, uh, to ask them about what was excluded, because one of the questions I had, apart from the net neutrality stuff, was when Virgin Media started zero rating services. They were zero, wa- zero rating uh things like text and picture messages, uh, but they weren't zero rating video calling and voice calling. You know, the kind of thing that you'd actually really, really want video uh, zero rated. Vodafone told me when I asked them that uh, voice and video calling is not included. In their chat pass and pointed out an faq that said what uh, about what isn't covered uh, but the more pressing problem i had was about how zero rating data might be in breach of the eu's rules on net neutrality i said to vodafone that i it looked to me like vodafone's passes run afoul of it but i also pointed out i'm not a lawyer um and vodafone said this does not infringe net neutrality regulation. It is a non-discriminatory and a, uh, it is non-discriminatory and applies differential pricing to a category which any content provider can join. It should increase customer choice rather than reduce it in any way. It also says that Article 3, uh, Section 2 of the net neutrality regulation permits agreements between ISPs and end users on price, data volumes and speed provided that A they do not restrict users' access to content and services, and B, they do not materially reduce customer choice, taking into account the market position of the content providers or ISPs involved, and a few other things. Now, I've argued in the past that I think this does restrict users' choice because if you are financially limited and you're choosing between signing up to, say, Spotify or Deezer or Apple Music, let's say, but your Vodafone Pass will allow you to zero-rate Spotify – but not Apple Music, then yeah. you may feel restricted in choice because, you know, from a purely fiscal standpoint, it will save you more money if you use Apple Music, uh, if you use Spotify and have but it all what they're zero-rated.
1: saying But what they're saying is that they would allow anyone into that category. So if Spotify was in it, then, then Apple Music would be allowed to be in it. That's also presumably true. presumably Apple would have to ask for that to happen. Yes. and whilst that's fine it's still not quite right is it it's it's it, it's this it's this classic case of something being not against the rules but
0: in my opinion still a real grey area we have to be very careful about and as Alistair said in his email it's uh you know, setting a precedent where this kind of thing is accepted and then is competed against, you know, with other networks all offering stuff like this and, and oh we'll zero rate this and we'll zero rate that and oh they're zero rating that bit. Okay, well we'll do this but we'll do it even bigger. It's very, very worrying. Uh so that that's that's something we should all be very, very mindful of. Um thank you, Alistair, for for that. And uh the last email is really just a message from uh, from Matt who signed up to our Patreon uh not a count, what do we say? A club. Uh, (laughs) Became a patron. Uh, He says, kind sir. That must be me, mate. Because you're not kind or a sir, are you? Well, no, that's true. I'm I'm neither. No. Uh, He says, I've just become an ambassador patron and can only apologise for taking my sweet time about it. That's okay. That's okay. Having listened to you through CNET and Wired, it's a delight to hear you make such a success of an independent podcast. Thank you very much. I hope you had a fantastic wedding. I did. Uh, My only tech wedding crossover story of note is when I changed my surname, PayPal would only accept a fax of the deed poll, not an uploaded PDF. Uh, Best wishes to you both. (laughs) Sounds sounds like a thoroughly, thoroughly modern company, doesn't it, PayPal? But you know why that is, I think? It's because a fax, a faxed document is considered a legal copy, whereas a Mm. scan, an email, isn't. Well, uh, welcome, uh, Matt, and welcome to everyone who joined us in the Patreon uh, club this week. Uh, if you're not, obviously, you, you can uh, you can try us. There's no commitment. You can try and go ad-free, extended cuts, weekly columns. Uh, soon, as we said, live, listening and chatting. We're going to be experimenting with that through December um, because we want to start doing that from January. But it's a good time to uh, to join us and start uh, taking advantage of some of the, the benefits we, we have over there. We'd love you to... to to do that that's patreon.com slash uk tech fellow patreon supported podcaster of course is tom merritt daily tech news show tom what has been happening in the wider world of tech since your turkey day Hey guys, sorry about missing you last week, but uh, thanks for the well wishes for our turkey celebrations over here. This week on DTNS, we're packed with thoughts on robots and warehouses in Australia, streaming services in Mexico, why laptops can be a hindrance to a good education, drive-by Bitcoin mining, which could save content... Net Neutrality, and Jason Howell dishes what gear he uses to record music. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you. Cheers, Tom. Yes, well worth checking out Jason Howell's audio episode, actually. If you're a, an audio nerd like me, they go into details about even like audio adapters and XLR and connectors and stuff. And uh, it's a it's a good geek out, so do check that out at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Mr. Morris, we are done. We are finished for this That's week.
1: That's nice. Yes. We'll be back next week. We will. Largely the same. Yes. Goodbye, everybody.